0: This is Cambridge Judge Business School's Online Knowledge Centre with expert commentary, analysis and insights into the issues of the day.
1: The estimated loss to world economies through corporate corruption runs into billions of pounds impacting both the developed as well as developing nations. Understanding and Preventing Corporate Corruption is the title of a three-day executive education course in which Dr. Stelios Zyglodopoulos and Dr. Barak Ariel will go through research evidence on corporate corruption as well as applied knowledge from anti-corruption campaigns. Dr. Zyglodopoulos believes that corporate corruption is more widespread than ever. Companies' financial demands require performance in particular ways that he says are actually impossible to achieve given globalisation and other pressures. To achieve these results rules are being broken and the current economic climate is also unhelpful
2: well it's putting even more pressure on them because as they say you know when the weather is good everybody can sail a boat but when the weather is bad you, not everybody can do that so you need a lot of expertise to do that so it tempts people to cut corners if you want or it tempts people to find innovative if you want ways of innovative
0: corrupt ways to do things so that is I think it's it makes things worse there's a lot of research these days on opportunity and whether opportunity plays a key role in criminology altogether in crimes and for corporations as well as individuals. So I think nowadays uh, with the 21st century, with the media and the Internet and all that, and there's a lot of opportunities for people to be corrupt more than they used to be in the 80s and before that. So yes, indeed, now you have a lot of pressure, and you have a lot of pressure for companies to excel and to get more money. Uh, but nowadays, because of the opportunities to commit more crimes, and it seems to me that there I- it is more widespread Dr. Ariel, has
1: corporate behavior become more sophisticated over the years?
0: I think corrupt behavior has become more sophisticated over the years, especially because you're dealing with super rational individuals and companies that have deep pockets, so they can hire people that have that ability to be to do things that are not supposed they're not supposed to be doing, and to conceal it within means of within legal means. So it's very difficult to detect it these days. So unless a co- corporation by itself is trying to promote more compliance and trying to find the problem by itself, it's becoming more and more difficult to actually detect it.
1: Can you define or put into perspective corruption in a corporate environment?
2: In a business context, corruption would be basically taking unfair advantage of your position of power to make money out of your organization, steal from your organization, some, or take funds from your shareholders, or produce a product that is bad for the consumers. Corruption could take many forms in, in, in a business setting.
1: Corruption is actually embedded in some societies. It's culturally acceptable. It's a way of life. Is it therefore illegal or do we just have to accept it and put up with things as they are?
2: That's a hard question to answer because the line is, I mean, for example, in India, and I think Barack has more examples about India that you could talk about, there's a certain level of corruption that is considered to be acceptable because that's what they need to make a living but beyond that, even those people who are corrupt at a level say, well, that's too much, that's corruption.
0: It's not a very clear line that we can draw in many societies. Yeah, I think a lot of societies would look at behaviors that we see as corrupt and will not see it as corrupt at all. So, for example, a very low-level officer in India might not necessarily be doing corrupt things by their own terms and their own standards, whereas we will see it as really corrupt. Things, for example, taking money from people that drive by cars, and a, 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 a traffic officer taking money from people who drive by there, because he needs that to feed the family. Uh, we see it as corrupt behavior, but at the same time, for him, it's just a matter of survival. So it really is about how you define it. So there's a lot of cultural elements in the definition of corruption and actually how to, how to deal with it. So low-level corruption for us might be a way of life for them uh, without generalizing, yes.
1: Two major examples of corporate corruption that always arise when there's a discussion are Arthur Anderson and Enron. There must be many more.
2: One of the purposes of this course, in a sense, we're trying to prevent organizations from becoming corrupt because the, the, the argument one could use is you can do a lot of damage to somebody with a knife, with a gun, or with an army. So when you get an organization that becomes corrupt, the damage that it can do to society, and we've seen that through Enron and Arthur Anderson, is a lot greater than any... Individual that is corrupt can do. So that's what we're trying to prevent, in a sense, the organizations
0: from becoming corrupt. There are many examples in the pharmaceutical company industry and in the pharma industry that corruption, as we see it, is actually very much a, a, a way of life and a way of doing business. Uh, for example, getting a, a, a license in uh, remote places around the world that we be, uh, allow you to sell Viagra and other medicine that are uh, strictly uh, either controlled or non-controlled medicine, but that are supposed to be supervised in wherever country people are buying them. But getting that license becomes very easy when you pay off the doctor or you pay off the organization to give you that license. So we see a lot of offshore companies setting up these structures to sell pharmaceutical products and medicine over the Internet, and although it's in the gray area of legal and illegal, but certainly you can see the problems of selling medicine that is not being controlled.
1: From the criminologist's point of view, that must be very difficult for you.
0: Yes, indeed it is. Uh, f- first of all, it's, a, a, again, a question of measurement. How do you really measure it, and how do you actually get to these cases? Because remember that if you want to get some sort of a policy, you need enough cases to analyze. And because these are individual cases, for a social scientist, for a criminologist, to get a, a comprehension of what is, what is it about to be corrupt, what is it about the organization that makes corruption possible, you need a large body of cases, and they're not present, th- it's very difficult to get to them. Again, because both sides, the corrupter and the corruptee, don't have an incentive to go out and report it. So getting to the cases is very difficult for the social, social scientists, although we're moving forward and getting enough information out there from particular cases that we can learn and establish some criteria and guidelines on how to deal with the problem. How does it all begin? Well, I, at the organizational level,
2: I would say that it starts from uh, persistent uh, demands for a particular kind of performance that is not feasible given existing resources, and then the lack of control mechanisms, and the control mechanisms, financial control mechanisms over the years have been trying, have been started focusing on the whether you achieve your goals, but they're not focusing enough on how you achieve your goals, and if you give enough time and enough pressure, you put enough people in this pressure situation, they will eventually, some of them will start cheating, and they will make the organization corrupt. So that's one of the, um, the waves now that's coming in, the new things that's coming in, compliance systems. Compliance systems, basically, what they're trying to do is they're trying to make up for this deficiency of the control systems. They're trying to control for the how you do something so that it is done a particular way. It's not a corrupt way. It doesn't break any laws. It doesn't break any ethical principles and so on.
0: There's a symbiotic relationship between the individual and the organization itself. Yeah. So essentially you have the, uh, the individuals within the organization under pressure to, to perform and to bring in money to the shareholders and to the company and, of course, to themselves at the end of the year. So they become a part of the problem once they start getting all the pressures because they see ways to get more money and to get the edge that others do not have. But the, you ask how is it exactly moving forward and how exactly it's, 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 in the, how exactly it's working. It's a process of rationalization and Stelius is a world expert in this field, it's about the rationalization of these particular agents within the corporation, within the organization, and how they actually justify their behavior. I mean, we know of rationalization theory going back to the 50s, but nowadays we have a little bit more understanding of how it works within the corporation and how people in the field field actually uh, build a model to understand how corporation helps the individuals justify their actions.
1: Selyos Zygladopoulos, you talk about compliance and its importance, but as fast as Department A, compliance, is drafting the rules, you can bet that somewhere there's a Department Z finding a way to get round them.
2: That's why it's always a dynamic process. Eventually, uh, yes, compliance is not the only answer. You need to address this problem at different levels. One is you need to adjust the goals, so the financial goals, so they're reasonably achievable with the resources you have, because if you persist on uh, pursuing uh, unachievable goals over the long term, some people will get tempted. I'm not saying that all, and we're not saying that everybody who is pushed will will become corrupt or will find ways to do things illegally, but some will. And the more you persist with this opportunity, the more, the more you persist with these demands, the more people will become corrupt eventually. So you have to adjust the goals, you have to have the compliance systems in the organization, and you have to have some kind of an ethical Uh, Moral culture that you facilitate within this organization so people will control themselves. And part of this ethical moral culture is to make people aware of the rationalizations that can lead them astray. Because these rationalizations are things that we use in everyday life for all kinds of things.
0: It's a very complex mechanism. It's very difficult to pinpoint a way to solve it and a way to explain it. Uh, Within this complex story, you can always look at broader context and broader questions about the way that we we behave. For example, should you deter people or should you try to persuade them? So it's not a clear-cut answer, but within the context of tax compliance, for example, we know from a lot of studies that deterrence actually can backfire. Uh, So maybe you want to think about other mechanisms, for example, to try to persuade the company to understand why they're paying their taxes and why actually it is that they have to comply the way that they should. So you can broaden this this understanding of these two models, for example, deterrence versus persuasion, for corporate corporate corruption as well. So we're trying to explain it through this course to see whether we're actually able to make people understand that this corruption is a problem and they have to deal with it themselves. If they're not going to deal with it, somebody else will. Final question, who's the programme aimed at? The programme is aimed at
2: managers of organisations, either compliance managers or marketing managers or procurement managers or any kind of managers who find themselves in a situation where they would be tempted to change systems or innovate, if you want, in a way that is corrupt, to, to face to solve their problems. Also, we we hope we could get a lot of uh, some people who would be who would want to find ways to deal with corruption in different cultures where it's taken as a given. There are some ways that you can deal with these individuals, and you can try to talk to them or ignore the fact that you're they, they were asking for a bribe. So, how do you deal with that as an organization? Because we, I, I think, uh, and I think Barack agrees with me that the the, the, the standard in certain countries. Um, that corruption is very prevalent has to be set by multinational corporations, not because they are the most ethical companies around or the more the, the paradigms of morality, but there 's nobody else to do it. so when you have Siemens going into Russia, for example, these days, and when they 're faced with a problem in uh, they have to bribe a tax collector, and then this person goes back and says, "Well, we cannot do this because." We can't, and then the president of Siemens takes the plane and goes to Russia and meets Putin and says, this is the problems we're facing in Russia. That's how it has to be dealt with. That's how the the, the company and the countries will move ahead.
0: I think uh, if you ask w- w- who this course is directed at, I think it's large organizations that a major age of austerity might feel the pressure to do things that they're not supposed to do. And we want to help them to realize the problems that are fa- they're, will, they will face if they'll start doing bad things, such as corruption, such as doing money laundering, such as setting up structures the, the way they're not supposed to do, to take up money from the company in the way that they're not supposed to do, because everybody then will get hurt from it. Not only them, but society altogether.
1: Dr. Stelios Zigladopoulos and Barak Ariel, thank you for your time.
0: This program was produced by the Cambridge Judge Business School as part of its online broadcast series.